0: How many of you are uh, making plans for, uh, for summer? Anybody making plans for summer to do some traveling for summer? Okay, I- I'm, going to, I'm going to help you this morning. I'm going to help you by avoid these states, if you will, because they have some very unusual types of laws. All right, so I'm just going to read a couple of them. So just avoid these states. Here, here, here are the states to avoid. Um, they have specific laws there. They're a little bit different. So in Juneau, Alaska, do you know that it's illegal to bring your pet flamingo to the barbershop? I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. In Tennessee, it's illegal to share your Netflix, Netflix password with others. I get that. Fort Thomas, Kentucky, it is illegal for a dog to chase people and other animals. Okay, I get that. In Indiana, it's illegal to catch a fish with your bare hands. Not sure why. In South Dakota, it is illegal to fall asleep at a cheese factory. Okay, Alabama, it's illegal to wrestle bears. In Billings, Montana, it's illegal to own a pet rat. What do you do if you like if you own a pet shop? I guess you don't own a pet shop. I guess you don't own snakes. Who knows? In Arkansas, it's illegal to honk your car horn at a sandwich shop after nine o'clock at night. And this is when I thought that was ironic. All right, so here you go. In New York, it is illegal for a group of people to wear a mask in public. <laughs> really? Obviously, that law has been changed, hasn't it? Okay, so why are there laws... Why does your family have guidelines and rules? Why, is, why, is your, why does schools, why do we have all of this? Because at some particular point in time, something went wrong or something got amiss, and they realized, well, maybe we need to do something. Maybe we need to correct some things. Maybe the people in Arkansas, maybe there's a lot of people at the sandwich shop honking their horns after 9 o'clock, and people just got irritated and said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to make a lot of it And I think it, it moves over into the religious realm, too. We feel comfortable with laws. We feel comfortable with the rules and the regulations and the do's and the don'ts and the things like that. We like those boundaries in our lives. We like to live under that umbrella, if you will. And what Paul is going to do this morning in our text, he's going he's to warn the people at Colossae. These people are 1,300 miles away. He's going to warn them about rules and regulations of the faith. He's going to warn them listen, our faith is not about following the rules and the regulations. All of these things, rules and regulations and guidelines, all of that is is a shadow. It's transitory to the reality. And you know what the reality is? The reality, according to Paul, is this. It's Jesus. The reality is not a rule or regulation, not a guideline. The reality is a person who came to this earth and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. That's the reality of our faith. And because of that, you and I have this wonderful thing called freedom. I don't have to worry about what people say about me anymore because of my faith. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear all of these things because I have been actually set free in Jesus. Jesus said that, if you will. Jesus said the reason I come so that you would be able to worship freely, worship in spirit and in truth. John chapter 8, Jesus said this about our level of freedom. So if the Son sets you free, what? You are free indeed. I am absolutely free in Jesus because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And that allows me the freedom to worship and to trust him and to know that things come into my life, I can trust him for who he is and what he's done for us. So let me just read our text. It's from the book of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 2. And let me just read our text, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, by the way, there's three warnings here. They're going to see three warnings. We'll just point them out as we go. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. That's warning number one. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Warning number two, verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God calls it, causes it to grow. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, wise if you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? That's rule number three. Do not handle, do not taste, do not tuss. These are all destined to perish with you because they are based on human commands and teachings. regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Three warnings. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that your word's given to us so that we might know who you are, what you would have for us, and how we can truly worship freely. Father, I ask that through the word of God, through the spirit of God, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you remind us of the freedom that we have and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes, that we would see wonderful blessings from your law about the beauty of who Jesus is and the freedom that we have to worship him. Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So as I read that, you you can tell there's three warnings in there. And it's not the, the only... These three warnings in chapter. Um, 2 verse 8, Paul had uh, the first warning. The first warning was this. Don't let people take you captive. Don't let people drag you off because of your understanding of human philosophies. In other words, be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you allow to come into your mind and heart because you don't want people dragging you off, thinking that, well, if I just do these things, if I do these types of things, what I'm going to actually achieve is I'm going to actually achieve a deeper relationship with God. I'm going to enter into a deeper understanding understanding of the nature of who Jesus is and what he would have for us if I will simply do all of these other things. And I think what we need to realize is this. We, we need to be careful as Christ's followers. We need to be mindful that we can be dragged off. We, we can be deceived into believing that certain types of people or certain things are actually scripture when, when they're not. Paul wrote to his young son Timothy in the faith. And he said this, watch out for your doctrine closely. Why? Because if you are not careful, you can go off and go in the wrong direction. Watch out for your doctrine very, very carefully. Because as you do that, you will ensure not only your own salvation, but salvation for other people. So we need to be mindful of things that come into our lives. And so what Paul says is he's writing to these people at Colossae, listen, I want to warn you so that you can live comfortably under the freedom that we have in Jesus and you can walk with Him. So there's three warnings here. Warning number one, verse 16. Don't be pressured by others. Don't be pressured by others. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, what Paul does is he simply turns his attention to our religious practices, if you will. God created us to be spiritual beings. God created us to worship him. So if you look around at our culture and you look around at people, we know and understand this idea that, we, that if we have a relationship with God, we want to do things to cultivate that relationship with God. We, we actually want to do some things that would draw us closer to who He is and what He has done for us. And what we need to be mindful of is we have to be careful of the rules and the regulations or the restrictions that may come into our lives. There's a couple of things that I do. I, There's a reason I read the Bible every day because I, that's a spiritualism. That, that's a good thing in my life. And if you go back and look at the Old Testament, you look at the, the Jewish people, didn't they have some rules and regulations? One of the reasons why we don't read the book of Leviticus is because the, all of these rules and regulations in life, they had all of these kosher laws, these dietary laws, Well, you can eat this, but you can't eat this. You know, cud and hooves, those were the parameters in which you could do. So they had this idea of the certain things, these kosher laws that they had to, they had to abide by, and they didn't want to deviate from that. Remember Paul in the New Testament? Paul in the book of of Acts. He's having this vision, and and all of a sudden this sheet comes down, and these animals, these reptiles, they are four-footed animals and reptiles, and he hears this voice from the Lord that says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And remember what his reaction was? No, Lord, nothing unclean will ever enter my life. I will not be a part of that. Why did he say that? Because he didn't want to be declared unclean. He didn't want to do something. He didn't want to eat an animal that would prohibit him from worshiping God in a way that he was supposed to worship him. Muslims, what do they do? They celebrate Ramadan, and and they feast, or they, they fast, and they withhold certain things. We just went through Roman Catholicism where people would not eat on a Friday. They're going to abstain from meat. That There's all kinds of ways that people abstain from things. As Christ follows, what do we do? A lot of times when we pray and fast, we abstain from certain kinds of food. We pray and we fast. Why are we doing those things? Because what we want to do is we want to do something that will foster a relationship that will help us learn and grow. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to warn them, make sure you're doing things in the right manner. Not only is it about food and drink and the things that we eat, it's about religious festivals. I mean, you think about religion, and you think about almost every religion, there is a, a religious festival. Or maybe there's a person that is in embracing that religion in a certain way, and they're trying to guide people in how to worship. Think about Judaism. Think about the festivals of Judaism. Hanukkah, Passover, Yom Kippur. They, they celebrate those festivals, don't they? What about Islam? Islam celebrates Ramadan, and, they, and there's this pilgrimage where, where they, they, part of their, their five pillars is this pilgrimage where they would go to, to Mecca, and they would go to this special place that's a special holy ground where they were supposed to go and to worship there and to be a part of that. That's a festival that's a really par, important part of their lives. Hinduism is often described as a religion full of feasts, full of festivals. And When you read about the church and, The New Testament, the first century believers, many of them were coming out of what? They were coming out of Judaism. So as they came out of Judaism, what would they do? Well, I want to make sure that I follow the law. I want to make sure that circumcision is important. I want to make sure that I I do these Jewish festivals. I want to make sure I do the sacrifice. In other words, they were living in the past, living under the shadow of Judaism in order to foster their relationship with God. Why? Because God created us to be spiritual beings. Deep inside of us, we have this desire to worship God and who he is. And what we have to be careful of is we don't get off track and worship the wrong kinds of things. We have a bent toward spiritual things. There's a, a philosopher, a lay pastor by the name of G.K. Chesterton, and he said this. He says, we cease to worship God. When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship Anything. What, what, what is the thing that we worship? Is, is Jesus at the one that's absolutely center of our lives? Or do we allow some of these other things to creep in? Maybe my family, maybe my job, maybe my hobby. What, what, what Paul is reminding the people here is be careful what you do and why you do what you do so that you do not get off track. Don't allow people to pressure you or make a determination about your spiritual being based upon the things that you say, based upon the things that you do. The, the word judge in chapter 2, verse 16 means this. It means to separate and discriminate. So you separate a person based upon the things that they're doing, and then you make a value judgment based upon what they're doing, whether either it's either good or bad. So someone may look at my life and make an evaluation of my life based upon the things that I do. These things are good, these things are bad. We tend to discriminate against people because of the things that they do. What Paul is saying is this. The essence of our faith is not the things that we do. Listen, you can come to church every Sunday, and that's not going to make you a Christian. You can read your Bible every day. It's not going to make you a Christian. You can say, I was baptized as a child. That is not going to make you a Christian. What makes us a Christian is by following the person of Jesus Christ. He is the substance of our faith the unique person of Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And what Paul is warning is saying, don't let these false teachers, don't let these people out there get you to think that you can grow spiritually or you can have a deeper relationship with God if you will simply do these things, if you just follow our ways, if you will. Follow this mysticism, follow this ritualism, follow all of these other things, and what will happen is you'll have this deeper experience. Paul is warning the people, listen, something's creeping in. Someone's going about teaching wrong things. Don't be pressured by other people to add all of these things to the unique person of Jesus Christ. That's warning number one. Warning number two is in verse 18 and 19. Notice what he says. He says, don't be called out. Don't be called out. Verse 18 says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for for the prize Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows up as God causes it to grow. So if you look around the city of St. Louis, if you look around, you just drive around, you see there's all kinds of religions and there's a church over here, there's a church over here, there's a church, there's a mosque, there's, there's all kinds of things all around us. And there's all kinds of religious, spiritual people, not just in the St. Louis area, but all over, who have this, this understanding, maybe this veiled understanding of who Jesus is. You know what, I like this Jesus. I like his teaching, I like his ethics, I like his wisdom, but I don't necessarily know a lot about him on the cross and a sacrifice for sin on the cross. You know, we like certain elements of Jesus. There's a... I I go home at lunch, and every once in a while I'll, I'll turn on the TV, and there's a particular channel that I like to watch. And, and there's a couple that comes on time, and they're, they're a religious couple. And they're always talking about this special revelation that they've had, this special understanding, this, this word from the Lord that if you will just do this, there's this window of opportunity opened up, and now it's it's getting ready to close. But if you will just sow a seed, sow a certain amount of, of money, if you will, if you'll sow a seed, what you're gonna do is you're gonna break open the barriers and God's gonna throw open the gates and you're gonna experience this wonderful blessing wait a minute, I've, I've got to do what they want to do in order for me to receive God's blessing in my life? And I think we're seeing that all around us, that somehow, some way, I need someone else to unlock the blessings that God would have for me. And I think that's what was ha- happening to the people of, of Colossae. There's these people going around and saying, you know what? I can help you in your understanding. I can help you to draw closer to who Jesus is if you'll simply do these things. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I don't want you to be disqualified from the prize. You know what disqualified has the idea of? It means this, that you're being called out. You've done something. You're a hockey player, all right? And you're playing hockey, and all of a sudden the puck comes in and somebody's there, and you lift your stick up and you hit them in the face. A hockey player is now disqualified. They are called out. They're giving a penalty, two minutes in the box. Why? Because of an infraction of the rules. And what Paul is saying here, listen, don't be disqualified by breaking the rules. Don't be disqualified by not following the life, death, burial, the teachings of Jesus and who he is. It's too easy to get off the mark. It's too easy to get off track of what Jesus would have for our lives. Notice how Paul describes the people here. False humility. They think they're humble. But but, but deep down inside, there's this idea of pride because everything's about me and following me and what I can do and how I can help you. Think about the spirituality of the apostles, the disciples. Remember them? Man, they did so many wonderful spiritual things. But how many times do we see them clamoring for position, arguing with one another about who's the greatest? There's this idea and these false teachers of of this false sense of humility. What do they do? They worship angels. They worship angels. Who doesn't want to worship angels? Angels are kind. They're supposed to be beautiful when they're described. Remember the TV show Touched by an Angel? That show was incredibly popular. Why? Because people had this understanding of, of what angels were and what they would do. And what we're seeing... Over and over nowadays is this idea of that people are moving toward the tendency to worship angels. There's a gal by the name of Doreen Virtue. And years ago, she wrote a book called Angels 101, An Introduction to Connecting, Working, and Healing with Angels. And what she believed is this, in contrast to the understanding that we have this idea of sin in our religious tradition, in our faith tradition. Angels absolutely love every person unconditionally. And what they will do is they, these angels will help you move ahead in whatever you want them to do. They actually love you. They care for you. And what you can do is you can get in tap with who they are, and you can actually get them to work for you. You can actually get them to help you in different ways. So a part of her books lists a way that angels can help you in mapping out your travel plans. Really? This is what she writes. They can help you get an extremely nice, warm, friendly, and competent customer service representative when calling the airline to book reservations. Who wouldn't want that? Help you avoid checkout lines and work with sweet and competent personnel. Who wouldn't want that? This is what she's espousing that angels can do. Let you sail through airport security without being searched. I'm in. Protect and deliver your bags so that your suitcase is the first ones on the luggage carousel when you're there. This is what this woman has said. She received a revelation from God. She received a vision from God in the form of angels. And if we can simply tap into this understanding of who angels are and what they can do for us, they can radically change the way that we live. You know what the good news about Doreen is this? It wasn't too long ago that she was confronted with the reality of who Jesus is what he's done for us, life, death, burial, resurrection, the power of Jesus, and she gave her life to Christ. And she's renounced all of these books. She's got to go back and change all of these books. They're still selling them. And she doesn't want them to sell them, but there's nothing that she can do to change that. But she had this understanding of who God is and the worship of angels, and because of now her faith and her trust in Jesus, she's, she's changed. That's what these people espouse, the worship of angels Paul goes on to talk about people who've seen visions. When I first became a Christian, I told you this before, I was part of a small church, and over and over I heard the phrase that went something like this. God told me this. God showed me this. God told me this. God showed me this. And it wasn't until afterwards, after I left, that I came to an understanding of much of what they said, much of what they taught about was in direct opposition to God's word. How how do you... How do you combat someone who says, God has told me this or God has shown me this? I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to take them back to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God say? How does the Word of God guide and direct our lives? And that's what Paul is helping the people to know and understand. These false teachers in in Colossae, they they have this false sense of humility. They're actually prideful people. They're worshiping angels. They're they're saying maybe what has happened is is these these angels are part of of Judaism where Judaism knew that they were given the Word of God through, through angels and now maybe out of Judaism they're worshiping angels. They've seen these visions, and the last thing he talks about is these idle notions. What's an idle notion? An idle notion means this. They're going off in a direction that's not going to bring back anything. You're not going to learn. You're not going to to grow. You're not going to gravitate. It's all going to end up being nothing. And what Paul is reminding the people is, listen, be careful of the subjective experiences that people have because they were not coming from a human base they're not connected to the head. They're not connected to who Jesus is. What they are simply espousing is words that they think are radically true. And I think we're seeing that over and over and over in our day and age. You know, one of the reasons why we encourage you to read God's word on a daily basis is so that you can actually look at what I say. You can look at what we say. You can look at what other people say. And you can look at what's going on in life. And you can say, wait a minute, does that square with the word of God? And, and you, did you see the warning? The warning is this. Don't be disqualified. Don't be called out because of your behavior, and you'll lose the prize. You won't lose your salvation, but what are you going to do? You're going to lose the prize of being able to, to worship with Jesus and know that what you have done has been accurately according to the word of God, it's according to truth. Don't be disqualified from the prize. That's a warning that he gives. Anyone remember the, uh, the character... In the novel um, by Charles and David Copperfield, uh, Uriah Heep, anybody remember that character? Probably very few of us, has been so long. Uriah Heep was an interesting character. He was greedy, he was insincere, ambitious, he was a manipulator, but he was constantly proclaiming himself to be humble. I'm an extremely humble person. But Uriah Heep demonstrates the exact opposite of what a humble person is prideful, always thinking about themselves, always talking about the latest vision, the latest thing that they've had, espousing things that are not necessarily according to Scripture. And what Paul is saying, listen, you need to be careful. You need to be careful what you hear. You need to be careful what you see. You need to be careful what you read. You need to be wise and discerning what you put in your eye gate and your ear gate because it can move you to a place where you can actually get off track. So the first warning from Paul is to be careful. Be careful. Don't be pressured into the do's and don'ts of religion apart from Jesus. The second warning is this. Don't be called out by getting disqualified for the things that you're doing. Warning number three is in verse 20. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled into believing that Christianity is about something that I do, something that I taste, something that I do to grow in my relationship with him as opposed to hanging on to who Jesus is. Verse 20 says this. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world. Why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining, Sensual indulgence. The false teachers focus on personal deny, denial as a way to curb their appetites. Listen, it's not bad to employ spiritual disciplines. It's not, it's not bad for me to be wise in the way that I eat. It's not bad for the way that we discipline our spiritual lives. It, it's good to pray. It's good to be involved in a small group. It's good to be around all of those spiritual disciplines. All of those things are, are really good because they're going to help us, assist us in the sanctification process of growing in our faith and our trust in Jesus. But those things are not the substance. Those things are not the true element of our lives. Notice what the problem here with these people was. It was all rule-based. It was all about human regulations. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about truth. It was about human rules and human regulations, verse 21. They made up their own religion, they had this idea of what truth is and what they needed to do and how they needed to work. The worship of angels, they changed everything about their understanding about the true reality of who Jesus is. They changed it. There's this appearance of wisdom. And there's a little bit of truth, but it's not fully God's truth. And don't we see that all the time in our day and age nowadays? And what do they do? They treat the body severely. They treat the body severely. Why? Because they think in treating the body severely what will happen is they will somehow earn favor with God. There was a, a, a guy by the name of Anthony, and he was the founder of Christian monasticism. And he, in, in order to grow in his relationship, in order to be disciplined, it says that he never changed his vest or he never washed his feet because he would discipline his body so that he could grow closer to the Lord. Somehow we felt that this suffering was going to help him grow closer to the Lord. There's a guy by the name of Simon Stilets, and he spent 36 years on top of a 50-foot pillar. He mistakenly thought that if he withdrew from the world, he would be truly spiritual. 36 years on top of 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 a board so that he could somehow show to other people that it was very, very disciplined in his life, and that would help him to grow. I remember when we first went to the Philippines with Daryl Martin, he said this, I think that at the time that we were going, that sometimes some of the, the people in the Philippines will actually nail themselves to a cross and walk around the streets as a sign, as a demonstration of their piety, of their wanting to, to earn or grow or to somehow discipline themselves to grow deeper in their understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have to be careful that we're not deceived. We have to be careful that we're not disqualified. We have to be careful that we're not fooled into thinking that we can add anything to what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. I am united with Christ and who he is, and I don't want to add anything that would hinder my relationship by taking me off and going in a direction that's not what God would want me to do. I don't want to be fooled into thinking that I can add something to my life it would be something that Jesus would not want. There's a man by the name of uh, Wilbur Chapman, and he said something interesting that I think applies for us. He says, it's not the ship and the water, but the water and the ship that sinks it. So it's not the Christian in the world, but the world and the Christian that constitutes the danger. In other words, we have to be careful of the things around us, the people around us the rules, the regulation, the guidelines, so that they don't become the focal point of our relationship. Because the the essence, those are all shadows, the essence of our faith, the essence of our trust in Jesus. Simply him. Simply him. So let me just end this. Let me just end this with an application. So what, what can we learn from this passage if we're not to be doing this and we're not to be pressured and we're not to be disqualified and, and we're not to be fooled? In other words, well, what would Paul want for us? What would he say to us in the midst of this text? I want to point out a couple of things and then we'll be done. First of all, notice how Paul writes. He writes from the heart of a pastor. He writes from the heart of someone who doesn't want to see people get off track because we can get off track. What's interesting is if you go to the book of Revelation and you read in Revelation chapter two and you read in Revelation chapter three, there's two churches mentioned there, Ephesus and Laodicea. In Revelation chapter two and Revelation chapter three, what Paul does or what John does is he rebukes the churches. Why? Because after a period of basically one generation, one church at Ephesus, what they've lost their first love, and the church at Laodicea, what happened with them is they became lukewarm. Laodicea and, and Ephesus were not that far from Colossae. There's no doubt the influence of the people was right around there. And what Paul is doing is Paul is speaking from the heart of a pastor saying, listen, be careful what you do. Colossians chapter 2 verse 2 said this, my purpose He's writing to these people. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is the heart of a pastor saying, what I want to do is I want to direct you to Jesus, that you would continue to pursue who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So four things real quickly. Number one, our faith is not in what we do or what we don't do. It's not about going to church. It's not about our baptism. It's not about your good deeds. Let me ask you something. Is your your faith about you and what you've done, or is your faith about who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Verse 17 talks about a shadow. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. The meaning of the word shadow has this. It has the idea of transitory I mean, I mean if, if I'm standing here in the middle of a parking lot and the sun comes up and the sun goes and, and it rotates from east to west, doesn't the shadow kind of change? The shadow is going to change if the sun is directly over me. That's all transitory. That, that's what a shadow does. Those are all things that are destined to perish. What he's saying, the, the reality is who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It's hidden. These are hidden treasures founded upon who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Faith is not in what we do or what we don't do. Our faith is in the reality of putting our trust in Jesus and what He has done for me. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God, so that no person will boast. My faith and my trust is in Jesus. Second thing is this I am united with Jesus. You know, the the video that we saw on this morning talked about we're free in Jesus. Verse 20 says, since you died with Christ, it says that when I put my faith, when I put my trust in Jesus, the Messiah, his death became my death. that I actually died with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live by faith, I live by, I don't know, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ is inside of me, and I love the fact that I can live for him, and I can walk with him, and I can trust him. I am dead to sin. I'm dead to self. I'm dead to all these things in the world. I have freedom in Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. We're going to see these words next week, but notice what he writes. Think about your life. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him glory. Did you see how your past is covered? I died with him. Do you see how your presence is covered? He is my life. Do you see how your future is covered? I'm going to be with him in glory. Past, present, future, are all covered what? Because I've united with Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. My life is hidden with Christ. He is the focal point of my life. All of those other things, the rules and regulations, are mere shadows. So faith is not in what I do to earn my salvation. I am united with Jesus. Number three, stay connected to Jesus. Look at verse nineteen. Nineteen talks about this. It talks about they, they've lost the connection with the head. It means this. It actually means these, these false teachers have broken away. They've not grabbed onto. They've not held on to the unique person of Jesus. They've separated from, themselves from him. Let me. Are, are you connected with Jesus? Or are you connected with Jesus in the things that you like about Jesus, but not in the totality of who Jesus is and what he's done? Do you, do you like him for certain things that he gives you or for who he is and what he's done? See, I think we sometimes pick and choose what we want about Jesus and what we like about Jesus. If, if everything is, is hidden in him and my faith entrusts him, do I embrace him for who he is and what he's done for us? Yeah, you can get off track. The Bible talks about bad company corrupts good morals. Are people getting you off track? Are you influenced by people around you? And the last thing is this, is we hang on to Jesus. God uses the body of Christ to help us to grow and mature. That's what he's talking about in verse 19. It says, he has lost connection with the head, who is Jesus, whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. How do we grow in our faith? God uses this person in my life. God uses this person in my life. God uses this class. God uses all of these different things. What? As we love Jesus, as we submit to him, as we keep him at the head of our lives, and as we come together and we fellowship together, God uses that in a sense of community to help us to grow. I don't have to follow rules and regulations. I won't be deceived. You know, I have the opportunity to come to someone and say, by the way, do you think this... This is in line with, with Scripture. You know, We come alongside of each other. We, we build up one another. We help one another. We encourage one another. We admonish one another. We pray for one another. We rub elbows with one another to help each other grow. So I think what Paul is saying, listen, there is the beginning of this wrong kind of teaching that's slowly beginning to creep into the church. Don't be pressured by rules and regulations. Don't get disqualified by the things that you do. Don't be be going off in a direction that's wrong. Hang on to who Jesus is because he's the central focus of our life. What I'm going to do is I want to pray and then I want to walk down and I want to lead us in the central focus of our worship service this morning is the fact that we have the opportunity to celebrate in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by taking communion together. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, I thank you that our lives are hidden with Christ. Father, I thank you that he is our life. Father, thank you for all that he's done. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just get caught up in a, in a bunch of rules and regulations, but we would truly understand the freedom that we have in, in Jesus, Lord, that we don't have to, f- to fear Uh, the future. We don't have to fear the things going on in our life. We don't have to fear viruses. We don't don't have to fear all of these things because of who Jesus is and what he's done and the power that we have in him. Father, thank you that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory that lives. Thank you that the, the spirit of God lives inside of us. Thank you for the word of God that reminds us of the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, right now we want to just take a moment or two to worship you as we take and celebrate the bread and the cup together. Thank you for the great privilege that we have of remembering you and your death on the cross, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.